Welcome to The Beauty of Conflict, a podcast about how to deal with conflict at work, at home, and everywhere else in your life. I'm Chris Marie. And I'm Susan. We run a company called Thrive, and we specialize in conflict resolution, communication, and building strong, thriving teams and relationships. Conflict shows up in our lives in so many ways. Most people, unfortunately, are not very good at handling conflict. Most people have never been taught the right tools for dealing with conflict. And then it leads to unnecessary friction, arguments, passive-aggressive emails, tears, hurtful comments, stuckness, all kinds of things we don't want. We're on a mission to change all of that. We spent the last 20 years teaching our clients how to handle conflict in a whole new way. We're here to show you that conflict doesn't have to be scary and overwhelming. With the right tools, you can turn a moment of conflict into a moment of reinvention. Conflict can pave the way into a beautiful new system at work, a new way of leading your team, a new way of parenting, a new chapter of your marriage where you feel more connected than ever before. Conflict can lead to beautiful things. Hi, today we have Evan Fine, who is the current CFO at Chef. And when we worked with Evan, he was the finance executive at a technology company called Impinge. And we started working with the executive team 2008-ish and worked with the, the team for about four or five years, coming in periodically to help the team. So I want to just welcome you, Evan. We're so glad you're here. Good morning. Thank you. It is such a pleasure to be here. I have um, very fond memories of our time together and continue to maintain our relationship. Yes, yes. it's for a while. And you you were with Infinge from the from, that when it went public as well, too, right? I were yes. In a remarkable, uh, remarkably long duration. I started at Impinge when I was 29 years old. It was October of 2000. And I had no kids, no gray hair, and a full head of hair. And I, um, I stayed for 17 and a half years. So, wow. so um, through, I often say I led three IPOs at Impinge because we filed an S1 in 2011 and 2014 and decided not to proceed. And then I led a very successful IPO in, in July of 2016. Uh, and then after um, almost two years of being a public company and, and being at Impinge for 17 and a half years, I just felt so content and um, proud and grateful for, for everything that I was able to accomplish and all the people I was able to work with. And, and I felt like it was time to do something new and different and, and refreshing. I didn't know what it was, but... But I decided to depart and pinch after 17 and a half years, which made me the most tenured um, tech CFO in Seattle wow. by quite a long time. I think that. Wow. That's amazing. I didn't know that. That's, that, is, that is quite extraordinary. Yeah. You had, I can't believe you're the most tenured CFO in <laughs> Seattle. It's amazing. But you yeah, wanted to do yeah. some new so things. Was, it after, sounded like. <laughs> after feeling accomplished, I, I, I figured out I attended 100 and pinch board meetings, you know, did 18 budgets. And um, there were very few things I was doing for the first time that it would be a great time for me to learn something new, connect with my family, um, do all the great things that, um, that people do when they're not working. <laughs> So, so, I, um, so I, left. I I traveled the world with my family, which was awesome. I got engaged, which was awesome. We went to Croatia, did that. I, I unexpectedly proposed in Croatia, which was great. And, um, and then, um, you know, a lot of people were reaching out to me, a lot of companies were, and I wanted to be thoughtful. And so um, my main selection criteria when, when choosing my next adventure was my relationship with the 
CEO and, and specifically the level of EQ that I felt was around the table, but most importantly between myself and the CEO and then next most importantly amongst the executive team. And frankly, I learned that a lot from, from working with you. I would have never, I, I don't know if we had met had I made that the number one criteria, but now I would not be able to work somewhere where, um, where we did not have high levels of EQ that allow, allowed us to have hard conversations. And frankly, I tell everybody who will listen, I'm like, the reason that's so important to me is I know businesses are gonna go up and down and we're gonna have great quarters and hard quarters and great years and hard years. And, and that's in th those successes and failures are inevitable. Um, so the question is how you move through those, not if you avoid those. And, and the key to moving through those is being able to have mm -hmm. the meaningful conversations that, um, that are required of management teams in order to be successful and figure out hard problems. And so when I placed that EQ selection criteria on my available opportunities, I was super pleased to choose Chef. Chef has a remarkable CEO and, um, and I, I have found what I was looking for here. So, so very happy. I love it that that's, that's uh, your number one criteria, especially since you have the, the business context goes up and down, but the relationships are constant. I do just want to say, just in case anyone listening to this does not know, because I could immediately assume that Chef has something to do with cooking, which it doesn't. <laughs> and I could also have no idea what Impinge was, which I do know what that is. But it may be helpful to just, because they're both in the tech world, it may be helpful to say something about yeah. each of that, you know, each of those companies. <laughs> Certainly. So in fact, when I started Impinge, at Impinge, I was employee number eight, and Impinge was just a technology company meaning they had a collection, we had a collection of patents on some novel semiconductor designs that allowed um, integrated circuits, which is a fancy way of saying chips, to um, adapt to their environment. And that allowed them to operate at much higher performance than normal. We didn't even know what market or what product, we had no market, no products, just a little bit of money and eight employees and some technology. So um, we used that technology. After several years, we discovered, man, this technology could be very advantageous in the what was then called the RFID market. And RFID is this awesome technology that allows you to connect items um, at a very low cost um, and, and communicate with, with small chips on items thousands of times per second, you know, or thousands of items per second um, from a long ways away. Um, so, so Pinch pioneered the space. In fact, at, at this time, the industry was very fragmented and there was no leader um, we, we focused on it, became the leader, and then uh, kind of as the late, uh, uh, starting around 2014-15, we renamed, RFID was um, a term that didn't mean a lot to people, but I mean an Internet of Things for Items company, as the, as the term Internet of Things became more um, robust and, and frequently used, uh, that started to have meaning. So, meaning. So, Impinge is able to connect uh, trillions of everyday items, whether that's your luggage or your good to go pass when crossing tolls or your garments when you're shopping, connect those to networks for, you know, just a penny or two. So, so that's what Impinge does. In order to do that, you make chips and readers and software to make the whole thing come together. And, and Chef is not software for restaurants, like you said. <laughs> um, Chef is called that because um, you configure like operating systems using recipes. So in this new world where 
developers are making products in mixed environments, some on-prem, some in the cloud, some using fancy products like containers and Kubernetes and others using kind of maybe Windows 2008 and older legacies. We make it um, operate at high performance. We make systems operate at high performance kind of independent of their computing environment they're in and, and make you be able to migrate them and manage them and configure them using recipes in a, in a much simpler way than oh. you would have to do otherwise. Wow. It's kind of like the, tell me if this analogy works, you know, now you have website designs uh, or products like Wix or Squarespace that have recipes that you can plug and play. It kind of sounds like that for yeah, software that's a good analogy. Yeah. And for many good? different environments, not just to get, you know, not just the um, like one given environment, but multiple environments. Okay. Wow. Excellent. Wow. I love it. I, I, I loved hearing that. I don't think I even knew that going in. So that's pretty cool. I got I have a much better understanding now. And you know what I was thinking about, even when you were talking about these two different worlds and what you said leading into it about what you learned was how important it is to have that emotionally cute because it's so clear in the technical world. And I remember working with your team in the beginning, there's no lack of smarts, very <laughs> intelligent people uh, working on some pretty high level, you know, patents, you know, breakthrough innovation in that respect. And yet, and I can, at times the most challenging part is how to deal with each other. And um, you know, cause we aren't microchips and it is sometimes a lot harder to navigate that field of having people involved and not quite so binary as one and zero and writing code. And, and I think sometimes you guys came up against that. Yeah. Well, even, uh, even uh, Evan talking about what was going on when you first reached out to us, you know, what was, what was the team struggling with? Um, when we first met. Sure, sure, yeah. So, so one comment for Susan and one for for your comment, Chris Marie. So, uh, definitely, you know, we we have many, um, several of the smartest people in the room. Um, um, sometimes I put myself in that group, and sometimes I don't, depending upon the <laughs> but, um, but like you say, not only have I come to believe that that um, kind of uneven results are inevitable, but also that your strategy is wrong is certain. It's just like a budget and just like a plan. The moment you have your strategy, I guarantee it's wrong because the environment changes <laughs> or you've misread a situation. And so that whole thing has to be dynamic. And, and since you're going to be changing so fast, you need to get the grit out of the gears and the gears are like mistakes and best intentions, but still mistakes and communications. And so it's not even just yeah. like, I would say it's not even just how intellectually smart you are. It's just the, also the need for a changing and dynamic strategy and a, and a changing and dynamic marketplace, which requires um, really healthy communication. So so just wanted to comment on that, Susan. And then um, Chris Marie. So so at this time in 2008, I was either I'd either just been made the CFO or I was the senior VP of finance. But but I was um, at a point in my career where like for me, winning was getting promoted and like personal contributions. And sometimes I use this course term, like collecting compensation nuggets. Um, and, and so um, that's what I was about. And, that, and, and I was really good at doing my job, meaning like the people that reported to me and the functions that reported to me. And then I thought my job was with, with whatever extra um, capacity that was um, left over after I was able to optimize getting my trains on time, 
I would turn that over to the business. And that was probably commonly held amongst everybody. Like, you know, if we all um, went away and did our thing and just relied on everybody to do their thing, you know, then um, then we could come together. But in, but instead, 2008, you know, just may, maybe that would have worked in different eras. I doubt it. But but 2008 was really a rude awakening for technology companies late 2008 and early 2009 because the financial markets collapsed starting with Lehman Brothers and capital dried up. And I remember like boats were like not moving in the harbor and and we were really nervous about our business. Um, our, our market had not yet reached a tipping point. And so it was mainly early adopters that were using our products. And, and if it's based on early adopters, you know, that's not a big enough mass to like know it, like they need it to run their business. So they were kind of, these were, these were customers that were leaning in and experimenting with the technology to gain competitive advantage. And that's kind of the first thing that gets turned off um, in tough times early. Um, so, so we figured, man, this is a rough go. What are we going to do differently? And our CEO at the time, Bill, very um, fortunate. He was open-minded on uh, working with you guys. And I actually don't know how we found you in the first place. Um, maybe you remember that story. But, but we hired um, you and took these assessments and started reading The Five Dysfunctions, which I thought was a crazy title for a book. Um, <laughs> So they kind of like the advantage better than the five dysfunctions. <laughs> um, and that began this total turnaround in my thoughts on leadership, what my job was, how teams were to be successful. And um, one thing about my personality is when like I see a model that I think works, I am all in, you know, and, and I became very quickly like the leader in um, accepting and demonstrating and, and, and following the, the things that you were teaching us. I would do want to come in here and comment on one thing, because I, I love the way you're sharing this story. And I really do appreciate that part of you that was, you know, you were in your silo, you were the finance, head of finance. And I just remember even, you may not remember this, but I do remember when we first were talking to you, you were so good at like, um, look, because uh, I know the market was struggling and you said, this is, this is a high price tag. And what, and we said, okay, well, you can pay us on a bonus if this helps. Pay us half. And if we're the, worth a bonus, then at the, afterwards, after the two day offsite, or, you can figure out. At some people, point, I think it was six months. You actually worked it pretty well because you said, well, <laughs> you're a good negotiator. We, you said, well, wait the six months and then we'll see whether this really worked. And uh, I don't know if you remember this, but I do remember. And then when it came time and you said, yeah, you know, I wanted to not have to pay you that $10,000, but I could <laughs> not pay it. So I I ha yeah, I happily paid that you know, well, an investment well worth it. And, and I mean, no greater proof than, than we've maintained our relationship. And I, um, and, you know, I bring in what you, the models and so forth and every team that I've been doing and would have a hard time going to one that didn't use what you were teaching. So, <laughs> so definitely a big believer. You really have. And, and, and I get that place you started was you really thought, here's where I need to focus. And you've since learned there's, set, there's a bigger, you kind of moving out of just the finance silo and being much more part of a, a high performing team. team. Yeah. Influence. Cause you were the person who everyone would say, well, Evan holds us to the task 
abusing this. I mean, because when we weren't there, you were the, definitely the one calling people, it sounded like. Well, and we introduced you to the check it out model, which isn't in the, it's kind of, then that's, that's in the beauty of conflict, which came later, our book. But you seem to take that on and use it. D- tell me where I'm wrong. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. And I have to tell you, I use it every day. And, and in my role now, I describe myself as kind of um, on a spectrum, if you can imagine, where on one end is like business executive, maybe more like COO-like. And on the other hand is CFO and maybe finance and accounting leader. I'm so much more on the left than I am on the right. I'm like hugging the, the left border, meaning the COO border. And and that is where I add value to companies today. I, of course, I have domain expertise in, in finance, but but that's not what that's not the value that Chef gets out of me. And it and it's happening even today. And just last week, so um, today's Wednesday. So six days ago, I had a team offsite with my Chef team, and these this is a group of emerging leaders, and and only one of them had been through what we did. We did the we read the advantage. We did a team assessment based on the Lencioni model. I shared my personal leadership story in a super vulnerable way, ended up crying and and that I didn't even think I I was going to do that. And all of a sudden I can just see these emerging leaders, their eyes open about, oh, this is leadership. Like it's actually not about how well I run my function. And, and so I have, um, I, I, this is how I lead now. And I know no other way. And it's really not about the business smarts. It's a, I have come to believe that, um, the best performance at work is, is based on uh, a human reach achieving their full potential, not their like work potential. And in fact, I don't even know, I, I, I'm pretty certain there's no difference. You just have to be able to show up authentically and keep growing as a human. And so I make that my mission and sure enough, if I'm not still using your tricks, even last week to bring teams along. <laughs> well, they're not tricks, but I love that you're using them and showing up real and vulnerable. And and that's what lets, I love that story, Evan, that those you saw the impact to those people because mm-hmm. that's where we really connect was when people are real and vulnerable. And it, it garners so much kind of um, barriers dropping between us and no longer am I trying to prove how good I am. I'm actually showing up and wanting to do a good job for the boss or the team. Mm-hmm. And it really transforms the relationships. Yes. Yeah, I have definitely come to believe yeah, that being vulnerable, whether it's crying like I did or apologizing, I do a lot of apologizing because guess what? I fail every day. I, I probably fail, will fail a dozen times today, a dozen times tomorrow and a dozen times yesterday. So, so the question is not if you fail. I mean, it's, it's great not to fail, but that's also inevitable. But, but I use those failures to make apologies, which also build bridges. And when I, you know, I recently did this in front of the executive team, I felt like um, one of the things I'm working on is I, I don't suffer a fool. And, and in one specific case, I don't suffer a fool. And what I mean by that is if I feel like the team's made an agreement on behaviors and there's repeated violations, like, on the nth one where n is four through eight, I'm like, okay, I've lost it. We're like, I can't, you, you can't do this anymore. And it comes off pretty sharp. So so anyway, I, I did that because that's one thing I'm working on. And I made this apology to another executive in front of the team. And, and I know uh, it was a bridge. Like that just made that team stronger and people can relax and know that we're all making mistakes. And so, 
Um, you know, am I still working on things? Absolutely. But I view, uh, let me tell one more story. I view, so vulnerability and apology, apology are opportunities, not problems. And then I do um, try that with my son, who is 16 years old. And, um, you know, we have a, a very tight relationship. And, and I try to say, hey, you know, like being vulnerable actually is a sign of strength. But I just want you to know the 16-year-old brain is not ready for that. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. No way, Dad. Uh, I can imagine, though, that it's still, you might be surprised. It may not be landing at this point. But I think the fact that you do that. You will, model it. You model it will have an impact. Um and even the fact that you're not forcing it, but just here's where it is. I get you're not, this isn't registering, is a certain level of vulnerability that at some point I think will uh, pay off in terms of your ability to relate to him. And so it's pretty neat. I, I do imagine, though, in your relationship, it may in it may not with your son, but what about in your new and your newer your, relationship? Yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. I mean, I. The, um, another having a great high EQ relationship with your significant other is super important because once again, it's just filled with challenges and, and, um, us some, one time my, you know, I, I love seeing therapists and my therapist told me a third of your relationship, like is when things are going great, you know, a third of it is when you're messing up and a third of it is when you're rebuilding. And so since two thirds of the time, <laughs> you're not in like the Nirvana zone, the question is like, how, how do you operate when you're not in that zone? And do you assume best intent? And can you have those hard conversations? And man, is that a, just another place that's super important for me? And so I'm very fortunate to have a significant other, now a fiance, not yet a spouse, uh, to be able to to build a healthy relationship on. So, and every time you know you have since since one third of the time there's a setback. I just also view those as little proof points that allow you to just add a small brick to your foundation so that exactly. it's stronger all the time. I, I totally agree with you. And I mean, one of my favorite sayings, I don't, I don't know if I've ever used it with you guys or not, but I use it quite frequently is this idea. It's not what you do, it's what you do next. And it comes into play because it's so often we will make mistakes. We are going to step on each other's toes. We are going to, you know, like do something that doesn't fit. And it's like, am I aware and paying attention enough? Because that's actually what matters is what I do once I do that. And I think that's what makes the difference between something being a total failure and actually seeing it more as, no, this is just how life goes. You go, you know, um, the good, the bad, the ugly, and the beautiful, so to speak, yeah, you yeah. know, and how do you respond to whatever's presenting to you is the way you make it relational and yeah. real. And you have to make it safe to to um, for the person to give feedback. Like, if you can you be when when you receive that feedback, can you say thank you? You know, can you stay open? Can you ask curious questions? Or and if you can't do that, can you just say, hey, thanks for that. Like, I'll come back to you. You know, I'm not ready for that. Now, like anything better than. Yeah. Um, the frontal brain um, activating <laughs> and do it. Yes, the amygdala yeah. hijack where yeah. it's like, yeah. don't yeah. talk to me. <laughs> yeah. um, I think one of the things that comes up a lot is just, and this has to do with that vulnerability curve, is just being able to acknowledge right now I am defensive and I want to receive this, but I'm not there. Because that can be a huge statement 
when you get into that hijack mm -hmm. as well. Like, okay, I'm owning yeah. it. And you, you know what else I learned at the same time too? All these things, just the world is so complex and humanity is so complex and I appreciate all of it. But, but, and you also have to allow the grace Right. What we've started is a process and like a journey, not a destination. And so, for example, this offsite we had last week, um, you know, it comes in the tail of six months of some team building, but we hadn't really done what we did last week. And and so people are giving, you know, we go around the room and we do a um, give really good, clear, transparent feedback on something you do that helps the team and something you do that hurts the team. And not everybody can be as vulnerable as me. And some folks are still learning. And so. I also find I have to have the grace to allow that we're moving in a direction, but like not a status, you know, and, and some people can embrace the model right away, right now, and others, it's going to take longer. And yet sometimes that makes me anxious because I'm a big model embracer, you know, so it's just interesting how, how <laughs> all that forming has to happen unevenly and, and, and we have to accept that. Yes. I mean, it's kind of like there will be some members of your leadership team that are like your 16 year old son. They're not there yet. And that's not a bad thing. It's just like, can you have the yeah. grace to say, okay, we've started, like you said, that's great. So, And you may even find people will self-select like, this is really not for me. Mm -hmm. um, that That doesn't happen all the time, but if it's if you're going to adapt, because what you're really creating is a level of intimacy in the workplace and that creates trust. And then you can hold each other accountable by giving each other. And that is one of the kind of like what we say for teamwork, one plus one can equal 11. And we think that yeah. EQ factor is really what makes that 11 or one plus one can equal minus one where people aren't to show up and it's not safe and so they're managing their behavior for effect and you know i feel like i've been very fortunate because the leader um really sets that tone of safety and since i have tended to be the one that um will lean into the vulnerability-based behaviors the most sometimes that means holding ourselves accountable and saying something really hard inside the room about somebody's behavior you know and uh, but it can mean all types of things and i have always felt supported by the CEO. And of course, now I interview for that. Like I won't go somewhere in which I don't get that support. But but the first two CEOs, Bill and Chris, were so supportive of me playing that role. And if that hadn't happened, you can imagine you'd be like, oh, that's not safe in the workplace. You know, I can't do that. That's not like people talk about it. But when the stuff hits the fan, you can't really do that. But I I was I feel fortunate and grateful that um, that I always found support instead of pushback. I love it. And that you now you're looking, if you shift, you're, you're using that filter to make sure it's an environment like that. And that you can even create more of it. You don't need, you're not even calling us in to do your offsites. You're doing all this stuff because you've yeah. integrated it so yeah. much. I love that. Evan. That's great. Mm -hmm. That's Worked great. us out of a job. <laughs> 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 well, is there anything else if we, um, if you would, you know, you wanted any final words that you were wanted to leave people about conflict or leadership or teamwork that um, have really yeah. you said so much. But sure. So I've come to, really you know, there's um, there's certain words I love to use that that I think um, turn the model um, on its head. And what I mean by that is I'll say I love to say little phrases like mine for conflict, you know, with my team, I, um, with the folks that report to me, mm -hmm. I use that and with the executive team. And the mining for conflict just turns that whole thing on its head. And it's like, wait, 
we're trying to do this, you know, like, <laughs> and, and, and then you can say, yeah, there's goodness on the other side, you know, and I also say that feedback, you know, is a gift, you know, like, thank you for giving me these little gifts of things that, you know, you'd like to see me, we sometimes will use a stop, start, continue model. Um, and, and to be able to view, you know, that feedback as a gift is another way of, of using words to turn these concepts on their head in a very like pithy, understandable way, you know, um, so the, yeah. another one that I have come to um, really like is the platinum rule. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, but the, the golden rule says do unto others, you know, as you want them to yourself or something like that. And then I came across the platinum rule and it says do unto others as they want them to themselves. And then I read this analogy and the guy was like, look, I really, I just want everybody to know I really like berries and cream as my favorite food to eat. But when I go fishing, I don't put berries and cream on the hook. Because the fish actually prefer worms. <laughs> That's <laughs> a great way yeah. to tell that so, story. I love so it. I love these little understandable anecdotes that turn the model on its head and allow people to stand on something, you know, as opposed to, I don't know, a whole model. Like you can remember two or three things, you know, mind for conflict, do the platinum rule, you know, and consider feedback gifts. And then you're probably pretty good to go. I love that, Evan. And it's, it's great. I don't even know if you're turning the model on your head, but it's so countercultural. Yeah. We don't think of, of those. So, and to have those anchors that you can pull mm -hmm. forward to help remind yourself and team members, hey, feedback's a gift, mind for conflict, because mm -hmm. there's beauty on the other side, we would say. And the platinum rule. Yeah, I love that. We've, yep. we've uh, our friend uses that a lot, the platinum rule. So this has been excellent, Evan. You are so fun to interview and we love our our working relationship and our expanding relationship with you over time. It's, it's And it's really so treat. great what you have done in your own career and the way you continue to utilize this and build stronger leaders as well as stronger relationships, your own. With, yeah. You know, yeah, at home. Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you. Like it, I, I couldn't have done it without you. I view, um, you know, when people ask me, in fact, you know, you guys came up in my in my personal leadership story. You know, one of the things you talk about is like major challenges you've overcome, and or, or when you've had a lot of leadership growth. And you're one of two that I mentioned. Mm -hmm. um, my, my exposure to, you know, the the model um, to your to your offsite to the Patrick Lencioni model, and then also my my divorce. As like those are the two things that I talk about in terms of my personal growth. So thank you for um, for helping me, you know, start my journey. Oh, I love it, Evan. Yes. I think you, you used to say you drank the Thrive Kool Aid or yeah. something. Is that it? Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Well, that was so fun to talk to Evan. We've, yes, I we've mean, known him for so long. We have, and what you know, without knowing exactly where he would go, it was just wonderful to see how much he has integrated. Yeah for himself, some of these things. Uh, and he's, you know, he, he really applied it to how he created the next job that he wanted, even the next relationship, relationship. <laughs> lots of things. And, and recognize that it's still a work in progress. I mm -hmm. just love that. But it really did, you know, and, and for those of you out there, we, we work with the team and we do use Pat Lencioni's books, Five Dysfunctions of a Team and The Advantage, because we used to work with Pat directly, as well as The Beauty of Conflict. And the, all of those models, I just love how much he grabbed, and he said, I'm a model guy. So he grabbed a hold of them and integrated them over and over and over again across the, he was the person when we would come in, he'd be like, wait a minute, I, I want to check something out, Chris or Bill or whoever else was on mm -hmm. the team. 
And the way he emphasized the importance of giving feedback around behaviors, because I think a lot of times in business, people will give feedback around deliverables or the smart side of the business, but they don't actually recognize that behaviors are the precursor to results. So the ability to give someone you're working with some tough feedback that you think they're some behaviors they're doing that you think are getting in their way, that is probably one of the hardest things to get business leaders and teams to do. And he was all in and committed to that. And that's that's building accountability at a peer base that is so powerful. And when, when we see teams adopt that and actually start to give their peers feedback, as well as their boss, this is one thing you're doing that's helping the team. This is one thing you're doing that's hindering the team. The velocity of the team increases so much because there's not all those, oh my gosh, I got to talk about the person. I can talk mm-hmm. directly to you. Yes. So that was huge. And I love that he so completely kind of paralleled how this applies both in business and at home. And I love that he talked about in the couple, and this actually came from a therapist I work, he worked with apparently, but I love that idea. One third of the time, it's going to be like the romance and things are wonderful. One third of the time, you're going to be deep into con- potential conflict or problems. And then one third of the time you're going to be rebuilding. (laughs) And and it's sort of, we, we agree that that is, we, you know, we may name the stages a little differently in terms of how things go, but it's that same kind of concept. It's dynamic. He used that word. And we really do think relationships are dynamic in business and in a couple. And the power of being willing to be vulnerable and to say, Hey, I made a mistake or I'm sorry, or even showing your emotions. Like that's a big deal. He's the CFO of the company and he's with leaders and he's telling his story and, you know, he teared up and cried. Yeah. And I'm, that was, I don't think that's staged. I think it's authentic that yes. and that's what actually transmits and connects to people. Yeah. And also the idea of silos, you know, breaking down those silos and he just had so many, he really has integrated what we teach in a way that Sounds really powerful. Indeed. And so you'll see in the notes, we'll we'll put a reference to the Lencioni work so people so you'll know where to go to get it. We'll also uh, maybe put some information in there about uh, the couple's um, Yeah, the couple's book that's coming yes. out. All right. So thank you. Thanks Take for care. Well, thank you for listening to the Beauty of Conflict podcast. If you're dealing with a difficult situation in your life or work, remember, every conflict is a chance for you to be vulnerable and curious and find creative solutions that you hadn't considered before and make your situation even better. Beautiful breakthroughs can be born out of conflict. We've seen this happen thousands of times over the last 20 years, and we know this is possible for everyone, including you. We're grateful you listened to this show and we're rooting for you. And if you enjoyed this show, please tell a few friends and or post a five-star review on iTunes. Your review helps new listeners discover this show. More people listening to this show means less friction and arguing and suffering out in the world. So that's a great thing for everyone. Also visit our website, thriveinc.com. That's T-H-R-I-V-E-I-N-C.com to read our articles, join our newsletter, buy our books, and learn more about the services that we offer. Thanks again for listening. We hope you have a peaceful, productive, and beautiful day.